Folks, this episode is brought to you by Quant Wrestling. Quant takes the Moneyball approach to the sport of wrestling. They have an app that's available on the Google and Apple Play stores where you can find all of their Division I wrestling data. They track 500-plus stats for each match, timestamp them, and then upload them into the Quant app. Really fantastic tool. Download it now at Quant Wrestling on the Google and Apple Play stores. Use the discount code WCML to get your first month free. People are like, why'd you go to West Point? I was like, well, I was in journalism class, and I was sitting next to Liz Miller. And Liz Miller... Uh, extremely attractive, like, ex- like, like very, very attractive. Um, 10 out of 10, Ryan, 10 out of 10. Saw her a couple years ago, still 10 out of 10. So I'm sitting next to Liz and uh, I go, Hey Liz, uh, I, I got a call from the coach at West Point last night. And she's like, wow, that's really cool. That That's why I went right there. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. So good to be back with you all on this Monday, February 21st, coming to you live from the Windy. Our guest today is Greg Warren. Greg is a stand-up comedian. He's been a professional for 20-plus years. He's a regular on the Bob and Tom Show. He's been featured on NBC's Last Comic Standing. He's the man, and before that, wrestled at Missouri, was an All-American at Missouri. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, this wide-ranging conversation with Greg Warren. Fan of the Week goes to our friend Steven Rodriguez. That's at srod141 on Twitter. An All-American for Illinois back in his heyday. Stephen, thank you so much for listening to the show and all the support. This episode's presented by Quant Wrestling. Download the Quant Wrestling app now in the Google and Apple Play stores. Use the discount code WCML to get your first month free. And without further ado, let's give it up for the great Greg Warren. Peace! Well, since we're already rolling, we can just dive on into it, man. If you're, yeah, good. man, yeah, go ahead. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll roll with it. No, it's a, it's an honor to have you, Greg Warren. I'm a, I'm a fan of your, of your comedy, and I'm so honored that you listen to the show and that you're uh, here on the, on the show with us. Yeah, man. Um, you got to keep this thing going because I, uh, I've been trying to get back in shape, and uh, really the only, only way for me to stay on the elliptical for. Uh, you know, an hour is to uh, throw one of your episodes on. 
so Thank you, gotta, you. you gotta keep, they gotta keep coming out, man. Yeah. No problem there. I'm going to keep doing them for as long as I can. It's a, it's really fun to do it and it's all a, a part-time gig, but you know, I spend way, uh, way more time on it than I should. And I think uh, that ahead. Matt, that Matt Gaffari episode was one of the most entertaining pieces of media I've ever heard. I mean, it was insane. Just the stories he was telling. That was that was nuts. I mean, like I kind of like you almost see the film right there. You know, you, you 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 could make a feature film out of that. It was it was great, man. It's funny you say that. I think about that all the time. Like there's a, a short film I'm doing this summer on this Iranian wrestler who's been on the show who escaped during the revolution. Then my next short film, I would love to do one called The Corellan Cup and interview Gafari, Lin oh, yeah. and just do like a short 20 to 30 minute, really tight documentary on that whole experience he was talking about. Cause it's freaking crazy. Yeah. I found you, uh, I still, remember, I can't remember. It was, it was a couple years ago. I think it was during COVID or whatever, but my old ex Mizzou wrestler, he was actually a real good friends with uh, Ben Askram, a guy named Joey Garrity. I ran him into him at a coffee shop when we were talking wrestling and he was like, Hey man, you got to listen to this Smith's documentary. And, uh, you know, I, I loved it. I, I loved it. And I, I was around at that time. Like I wrestled Pat in college. Uh, and um, I sent it to my buddy, who's a, a, a writer uh, on a lot of CBS TV shows. Um, and uh, he, he wrote on Mike and Molly. He wrote on, uh, oh, what did he recently? That thing with uh, Matt LeBlanc recently. And now he's, he's uh, for the first time he's show running his own show. It's coming out in a, in a couple of months, but he's a showrunner. He's a, he used to be a comic and he, he was an ex wrestler. He loved the Smith documentary. Wow. Yeah. And that got passed around a little bit at CBS. There's a, there's a, a guy that works in sort of the Chuck Lorre world um, that uh, he, I think he runs Bob Hart's Abishola uh, and he thought it was great too, man. And he's not even a wrestler. So wow. yeah, yeah, that was, that's really, really good stuff, man. CBS. I'm waiting for you. Give me a call. Let's yeah. Yeah, man. They, they just might, Ryan. They Let's do it. I hope so, man. That's awesome. Yeah. We're actually, uh, you know, finish working on the next audio documentary. Now that'll go live in April. It's an Illinois story, but ties in all kinds of elements that I think a lot of people will like. So it's a, it's a fun process and a fun journey. Let me ask you about probably one of the key defining moments in your journey. What did the folks at Procter and Gamble say when you said you were quitting to be a stand-up comedian? Oh, that's, uh, that's really interesting. So my boss is this guy named Rob Martini, and he was a, he was a really sharp guy. He went on to run new balance. Like he was a pretty smart guy. Wow. And I was doing like project work uh, in the general office at that time. A lot of stuff with Pringles um, and uh, I think a little bit with Jif maybe. And he knew I was thinking about becoming a comic. I had been doing it uh, off and on sort of as a, you know, moonlighting second career. And I finally was getting where I'm like, okay, I'm not terrible at this anymore. You're terrible. The first five years, you're just <laughs> terrible. It's awful. So I was getting like, well, this, this is actually going pretty well. And I'd done a couple of, uh, I had when in comedy, I'm giving you a long answer to this question. That's okay. But, uh, so in most like road comedy, there's a, a host, the guy that goes up and does like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And he he's local, you know, and they don't pay him hardly anything. And that's how you, uh, after about five years of doing open mic nights, maybe you get to start doing that. So um, that was my role at, at like three different clubs in Ohio. I, I was that guy. 
and it's not fun. Everybody's, uh, you know, ordering drinks. They expect you to suck. A lot of times you do anyways. Uh, and then there's a middle guy and that guy, he does about 30 and he's, you know, from out of town. They give him a hotel room, not a lot of money, but, uh, you know, that's the sweet spot. It's the easiest spot on the show. And then you got the headliner. Mm -hmm. So I had been doing the MC spot forever and I was, you know, it's, it's not easy. And, uh, I felt like I was getting better. And my friend, uh, who owned a club in Dayton, Ohio, gave me this, uh, weekend to, to be the second guy. And, uh, I don't know if you know who Kevin Pollack is. I was going to ask you, is this the Kevin Pollack story? Yeah. Yeah. Kevin yes. Pollack was like the, uh, he was the headliner that weekend and Kevin had just done like a few good men and some stuff like that. He was the, 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 the show was sold out all weekend long. And it was like one of my first times being the second guy instead of the first guy. And man, I, I loved it. And I got back into the office that, that Monday. And I was like, I, I knew on some level that I was not going to be able to stay too much longer. And I was making, you know, really good money. I, you know, I was 10 years at Procter and Gamble. I had profit sharing. I, you know, it was, I had stock options and I was, you know, but I felt like all I was doing was talking about, um, you know, what we were going to do for lunch and when I was going to retire. And I was only like early thirties, you know, right. I was like I'm, I'm too young to have given up on everything. Um, it's funny you say that. Cause I knew a guy who was at the same position as you at Procter Gamble, Richard Hearn, who went on to be the CEO of a very successful company out of Dayton, Ohio. Whoa, but I didn't realize that these PM positions at Procter and Gamble were like one of the biggest jobs you could get. And they just launch pads for so many people. Yeah. I don't know if I was on that trajectory, but you were in was, one of those roles and kind of moving up the ladder, right? I mean, you had moved up over 10 years and you were I'd like moved you up. Yeah, I'd moved up quite a bit, but I was uh, probably on a uh, I don't think I was on Richard's uh, trajectory. I was, <laughs> it was a, a flatter angle. Maybe I was uh, I was destined for middle management, very comfortable <laughs> middle management. But uh, yeah, so I finally went into Rob and I was like, hey, man. I, Rob, I, I, I want to leave the company. And uh, it was the coolest thing ever because, you know, back in those days and probably still P&G was pretty good sales training. So there was headhunters calling you like every couple of months, you'd get headhunters calling you be like, hey, do you want to go work for Boston Scientific or Johnson and Johnson and like all these different companies? And uh, and Rob goes, he goes, is this uh, is this about comedy? I'm like, yeah, man. He goes, he, he points behind him. There's like this row full of books. He goes, there's like five manuals back there that tell me how to talk you out of going to work for Johnson and Johnson or Boston scientific. He goes, as far as I know, really nothing back there about stand-up comedy. Good luck to you, buddy, man. We, you know, you know, and uh, it was, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. He's, he's a great guy. How liberated did you feel pulling out of the parking lot that day? <laughs> oh my God, man. That was crazy. Cause and, and it was it was funny because, you know, I, I was like 33 at the time. And for the last 10 years, I off and on had, had done comedy. You know, it would we'd be doing shows at night and, uh, you know, maybe we'd meet some girls or uh, those guys are going out for drinks and we're hanging out and they would be like, hey, we're going to go go to this other bar with these girls. You want to go? And I'd be like. No, man, I uh, I got to get up and go to work. Like, I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, I'm doing a, a show somewhere in Iowa. You know, like, hey, you want to go out with these, uh, you know, go meet these girls at this bar? I'm like, no, I. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it, yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> it was <laughs> like it there. was. Yeah, because it was, you know, I mean, I, I had plenty of fun uh, in college, but I did wrestle on, you know, I did wrestle there. And we um, I listened to a lot of the athletes on your uh, on your show and um, 
I wish I would have. I mean, I, I took it very seriously, but I, I probably didn't do things exactly the right way. I have a lot of regrets, but, um, you know, we had a lot of fun, but still I went right from being a D one athlete to, you know, corporate America. And there was yep. plenty of fun to have, but nothing like the freedom of, of being a stand up comic on the road. You know, I just basically lived out of my car that first year. Uh, it was, it was pretty fun. Wow. And yeah. so I can't believe that you're, you, know, you move up from doing the, the MC role to the, to the 20 to 30 minute guy. And, uh, that seems like a pretty big jump up And right away. You get to do it in front of as Kevin Pollock's the headliner. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And, and I forgot to, Pollock was really cool. He like kind of, he took me aside and, you know, we talked and he's like, you know, when I told him that, you know, I worked at, you know, I sold potato chips basically. And he <laughs> was like, he goes, Hey man, you, uh, you could do this, you know, like you, you you could do this full time. And uh, it was really, really cool to do yeah. Dude, that. Yeah. You had to walk away from that feeling like I feel after you tell me about the CBS people, that's like uh, very exciting and that you guys all enjoy it so much. So yeah, I mean, that had to be such a boost in your cat, man. Yeah. It's funny. There, there's another guy and I've, I've told this story a few times recently. In fact, I'm trying to, I want to, I want to shoot another special this summer and I I'm trying to get this guy into it, but there was this guy that owned a comedy club, um, in Columbia, Missouri, where I went to college and wrestled. And during the summers, you know, and I wasn't wrestling, I would work at the comedy club mm. and it was owned by this guy named Freddie DeMarco. And Fred was just you know, like hundred percent New York Italian guy. He owned, he owned a bar in the middle of Missouri. You know, some people thought it was like witness protection. You know, I, I don't think it was, but, <laughs> but uh, and Freddie was, he was, he treated me like a son, you know, but he was, uh, you know, he was going to kind of get me ready to, to be a comedian. I thought I was going to be a comedian when I got out of college and man, I even, I moved to Chicago, Ryan. I like, I got out, I went to NCAAs my senior year and it was over and I had graduated the year before. So I was just taking grad school classes, but probably not attending as many as I should have been. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm going to move to Chicago and be a comedian. And I just couldn't handle the, like, you know, how you have wrestling from the time I was five years old through college and i had like this you just have that purpose and then i was just lost it was it was it, i went from you know all the structure to zero structure and i was just like i don't think i can do this and i need to get back to some sort of structure and i um i left chicago real quickly went back home started interviewing and got the job at procter and gamble but freddie was going to kind of help me get started in the business and uh you know he, he had actually set me up with a job in chicago and was going to call some clubs and uh so i had to call him and tell him like freddie you know, I took a job at, uh, at Procter and Gamble. Like, Craig, what are you doing, man? You, you're going to be bored, man. You're going to be, Craig, I, I just fell asleep between the words Procter and Gamble, Greg. What are you doing? I'm like, no, Fred, I'm telling you, they're giving me a company car. I was like, yeah, Greg, you give me a company car, man. That's how they trick you into selling soap for the rest of your life. I'm like, I'm not. I'm not selling soap. I'm, I'm selling peanut butter. Oh, peanut butter. Why don't you say so, Greg? I mean, wow, that, that's a lot of excitement there. You, Greg, get in your company car, drive it off a cliff. At, at least you have five seconds of fun before you, you know, hit the ground. You know, he told me <laughs> and he would always, you know, I would go back, to, you know, to watch Mizzou wrestling matches, to, you know, on vacation or in the weekends. And every now and then I stop in and do a set at his club and it comes to soap salesman. You know, a guy gave up comedy to be a soap salesman. I'm like, it's peanut butter. And you know, it is nah, whatever It's selling soap. And then that day that I quit, you know, like, uh, I did not want to call my dad, Ryan. Like he was, <laughs> he was, he was, uh, I know what he would have said. So I, I called Freddie, you know, to tell him, uh, and I was like, Hey Freddie, I did it, man. You know, I, uh, I, I, uh, full-time comedy. I quit Procter and Gamble. 
Quick, why would you do that, man? They gave you a company car, man. That's a good job. What do you, what else do you want? I'm like, what do you, you told me to, Craig, I told you a long time ago, man. I mean, you, you're getting old, you know, you're supposed to be bored at this point of your life. I mean, I don't know, comedy, a lot of, not a lot of stability in comedy. You, <laughs> people don't need it. You know what they need, Greg? Peanut butter. I mean, that's, 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 that's what you need. Yeah. <laughs> That is awesome. I, I was yeah. I'm so glad you brought up the trip to Chicago because I was going to ask you about that because I had heard on another podcast, you go to NCAAs, a, uh, a lady in your life is no longer in your life. You moved to yeah. Chicago and, uh, and you, you did it for two weeks and you quit. And I'm like, holy crap, he, he, he quit and then revives himself. So I was going to ask you, so when you moved to Chicago, what, what were you doing? Were you like working at a club or you did a couple no, of I mean, I was like nights and I mean, you got to understand, like, you know, I wasn't, I wrestled in college for five years. And so, you know, I was right off of D1 nationals. And I, you know, at that point, I, my goals were probably not as high as they should. I, I, I placed my senior year and I, and I was thrilled with it. I was, you know, I, I kind of, yeah. but yeah, I'd gone through a broke, a breakup, like right before nationals. And, uh, so, uh, I was like kind of out of it. And, um, and my buddy was going to the art Institute of Chicago. One of my best friends, a kid I grew up next door to, and I just stayed with him and it, you know, I was just drinking beer and not really, I don't know. I went to like an open mic night and I met this guy who was like an older guy. And you can tell, you could tell like comedy had not really completely worked out well for him. And I got scared, you know, cause I lived a pretty, you know, pretty straight arrow life with wrestling. And I was good at school for the most part. And I was like, ah, I don't know if I want this guy's life. I, I want to, you know, and I was still hurt from the girl. And I was like, I want to get married and have a family. And I just kind of ran back wow. to, I ran back to the structure, you know, and I, and I, you know, a lot of, a lot of times I regret that. Cause you know, I thought who knows where I would be if I would have just, just started then, but also, you know, things have a way of working out, you know, like I, I'm not if I would have st started comedy at, at 21 years old, um, you don't have a lot to talk about when you're 21 years old. And I lived that 10 years with, you know, selling peanut butter and doing different things. And it's like, I have a little maybe a little bit more to talk about. So, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just uh, I love that you went back to it. How long after you were you were down in Texas and, you know, you're doing the sales gig and you're moving up. How long then until you started going back and doing regular sets? Um, you know, it was off and on. I was kind of living double life. I, I, when I got down to Houston, I think pretty quickly I found the open mic scene. Um, but I was also very serious about, you know, my job and I was, I was doing okay at it. And so, uh, I think I did it a few times. And then, like I said, it's tough. And, mm -hmm. uh, uh, it doesn't sound like, like, most of the guys on this podcast, you know, <laughs> but, no, I love that. Though. A, I know, but I feel like a little bit of a, a, a quitter. Cause it's like, I, you know, I, I faced adversity a couple of times. Like I can't, I don't, I'm not good at this. I shouldn't do this. I need to get back to what, you know, I think I had a couple of rough sets and I just was like, I'm, I'm not good at this. I need to get back to, um, to what I was meant to do. It's, you know, sell peanut butter and have just a family or whatever. Serious <laughs> business. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. To make man. It, exactly. You know, it's like wrestling. Let's get down and, you know, knows the grindstone. And, um, you know, I regret that a lot. Um, but, uh, once you eventually moved to Cincy, had you been going back to it full time then? Once I had moved to Cincy. So the first five years were in Houston and, uh, probably that last year I was in Houston, I was going up, you know, at least two, three times a week. And I was, Wow. investing some time, but I still was nowhere near 
thinking that that would be my career. It was just a very serious hobby and I was okay at it. I wasn't great at it, but I was, you know, one of the, one of the, I was doing okay as an opener. And then I got transferred to Cincy and it was a big job. It was, you know, it was a promotion, bigger customer. And, um, most of the time I was in Cincy, I think maybe I remember one time and, um, I did a week in Indianapolis and man, I ate it hard all, <laughs> all, all week long. It was, it was a rough club. And I mean, every, and I thought I was getting better at that time. I was the first guy. And I mean, I ate it so hard. And one of my high school buddies, this guy, he played in the, he played for the bears for a while. A guy named Jay Lewenberg. He was a, he was a center for the bears and mostly for the Colts. They came in to play Indy, I think, or maybe he was playing for the Colts at the time, but anyways, they were in town in Indy and his, I knew his parents and they came to the show and Jay came to the show. Yeah. I had an NFL player at the show and I ate it so hard. <laughs> and I remember driving back to Cincinnati, like the next day being like, yeah, I'm, I'm a peanut butter salesman. Like this is, and then, I don't know, maybe uh, six months later, I, I started taking it seriously again. And at that point I, I caught a little bit of fire and, uh, and started to figure some things out. It's uh it's interesting because there's a lot of help from wrestling. You know, you, you gotta, you, you know, you, you are going to take a beating and you, you, you need to sort of dust yourself off and, and get up. I just uh, told you about a few times when I didn't, but um, yeah, I also did a lot of that. Uh, but there is sort of an intensity to wrestling that you do not need to bring onto the stage. And I think <laughs> early on in my career, like almost, I was almost like in a modified stance when I was doing comedy. <laughs> That's terrible. My, a couple of my friends, like, uh, you know, like Freddie was like, Freddie, you look like you want to fight the crowd. What are you doing, man? You know, like, like, <laughs> like yeah, I was like, uh, like, in a, like a square, you know, I was like, you're, you're a little too tense. And I kind of learned to, to relax a little bit. Uh, the feeling you must have before going on stage. And, and I've heard you say like in your first five to 10 years, you're just so afraid of bombing that once you can, once you know, you're not going to bomb, then you can start to have a little fun up there. But the feeling of anxiety before you go on stage must be insane. Yeah. I, you know, it, it was insane. And, and there's times when it's like probably for TV appearances, I don't have it ever unless it's like a TV appearance when it's like, you have to get this right in five minutes or something like that. Mm -hmm. Even like shooting an hour special, you're shooting it it's on tape, man. They're going to edit it. So you, and you're going to do another show and kind of edit them together. So it's like, okay, if I screw up, I have a whole hour to get them, you know, but a couple of TV appearances, like last comic standing or like doing some of the uh, talk shows, it's like, this is five minutes and it can't go wrong, you know, mm -hmm. like, and, and I, I have gotten nervous, but I don't know if it's ever been that sort of anxiety that you have before a match, because there's nothing like, I don't know if I ever got to the, over the fear of just gassing, you know, and I, and I, we trained hard, mm -hmm. extremely hard at Missouri. Um, but I, you know, you get gassed out a few times early in your career. Like, I don't want to ever feel that again. <laughs> you know? It's like when I watch, you know, like when you watch Tom and Terry wrestle, it's like they wrestle with reckless abandon and they have no fear of getting tired. So and crazy. I guess, yeah. And now when I'm doing a club set, you know, like if I'm doing a club set on the weekend, I'm just going up to do an hour. Like I worked in Fayetteville, Arkansas last weekend. And I almost have that arrogance that those guys had when they were on um, on the mat where I'm like, eh, it's it's an hour. Like these days, I'm not saying it will never go, you know, poorly again. But I know I know 50,000 tricks and I have a lot of material. Like if it does go poorly, 
it was probably meant to go poorly because mm-hmm. I, I know too many. Ch- like if, if it does go poorly, I, I, I don't know if there was much I could have done about it because I, I know I know a lot of different levers to pull. You know? But yeah, yeah, that that fear of of getting tired. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think I told I've, you know, I, I apologize. I've done a, a lot of different podcasts over the years or shows or whatever. And I, you know, I probably repeat some stories, but I mean, one of the no, worst, please. one of the worst experiences in my life was, uh, we wrestled in that West gym at UNI my first year at Missouri. And I don't, I wasn't in the lineup that much that year. Cause I got hurt, but for some reason I, and the guy in front of me was really good a guy named Mike Gilsdorf, Illinois guy actually. Mm. Uh, but, um, I wrestled for some reason and they, they were good. They were ranked like third or fourth that year. And, uh, I got, you know how that gym is, man. It's just, everybody's on top of you and there's kids going up, handing people papers and you open the paper. It says, you're going to lose like eight year old, <laughs> just hand your kid that said you're going to lose, you know? And so, and I, I don't think I knew we cut a lot of weight back then, you know, it was, it was it, on duels. It was five hour weigh in. So you, you know, in, in tournaments, it was night before. So you could float a lot, a lot of weight. So, I mean, I wrestled this guy named, I think his name is Pat Hogan. And, uh, I just got, he got on top of me and I just, I just ran out of gas, man. I, I just didn't have it. And I was on bottom and the, the ref was like, he was like a deaf jam comedian playing to the crowd. He started hitting me like he's, he, I don't know how many, I didn't get stalled out, but I must've got close. Cause he hit me a few times. And on the last one, I'm on the bottom, you know, and the guy's trying to work a bar and I'm not going over, but I cannot get up. And he's, he bangs on the mat twice. He goes, are you okay down there, son? <laughs> and the crowd laughs harder than they've ever laughed at any of my comedies. They're like, yeah, <laughs> this guy's hilarious. And, uh, and, um, yeah, then that, uh, this, our, our coach was just, he was not happy with me at all. Luckily, like a lot of guys on my team didn't do well that night, but uh, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was not happy with me. And I mean, I, you know, I was pretty good. I was like the captain the last two years. I, I worked pretty hard. I, I did well. And, uh, you know, he liked me. He loved me, man. I, I love coach, but I, I swear if I had one bad practice, he would bring that up. I mean, we're talking like four years later, Warren, this reminds me of when you laid down at Northern Iowa. It's an embarrassment. <laughs> Couldn't we just forget about that? You know? Seriously. Like, yeah, and yeah. That at least you're honest enough to know that it was fear of being tired and not fear of something else. Like a lot of people don't even know what the what the issue is of why they're so nervous, you know, before like a big match. Yeah, I think it was probably fear of being tired and probably uh, a little bit of undiagnosed OCD. Um you know, God, the guy that I wish I would have known, you know, he's a lot younger than me, but I've gotten to know him over the years. Like, if you ever hear Terrell Delagnev talk about yes. some of, you know, a lot of wrestlers have some sort of crazy OCD notions that you, when you challenge them, they're like, well, this is this is stupid. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're Just not. hearing the name Terrell brings a calm to me when you're talking. It about does, man. I, like, I told him I ran into him in an airport one time. I was like, hey, man, I go, you know, we know each other a little bit. I was like. Dude, some of the stuff you you said on this podcast with Ben just completely just pierced right through. I'm like, oh yeah, that 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 was me, man. It was it was not. It was my mind playing tricks on me, you know. Yeah. Now he's a uh, he's awesome the way he thinks about it, and like just so much of the stuff like we know now as people who are trying to do well in our fields, like you just wish you knew a tenth of it back during the competition days. Like I remember Ugh. thinking like before a big match, I'm like, I wish 
Joe Williams could morph into my body and go out there and wrestle for me. Like that's what I used to think. And I'm like, who's thinking like that before a match? Uh, I remember that several times thinking that though. Oh, I thought insane stuff in college (laughs) matches. I mean, you know, in big matches that I won, I was like my mind. I, 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 you know, that's the other thing about your podcast. Like I listened to so many and and it's just like, what were you thinking back then, man? All these, like (laughs) I could have just known. And I know Ben really well now with Mm -hmm. both Missouri guys. I'm like, if I could have just talked to him, probably even though he was like in the fourth grade back then, he still probably could have educated me. Yeah. Which is an idiot. How often, like you listen to Ben, he's all about like improvement and learning new things. Like I can't tell you one new thing I learned after the seventh grade. It was like the same nine skills just going. Yeah. I I never thought to learn anything new. It's like I learned. I learned a lot in high school and and I learned, you know, a lot in college, too. And none of it was like my coach's fault. Like it was all my Mm -hmm. own, like probably not enough intellectual curiosity uh, and mixed with a little fear of gassing mixed with uh I just like to wrestle and didn't like to drill, which I've learned now from your podcast. It's pretty <laughs> stupid. Um, but and part of it was we did. I've watched some college practices. You know, we we went a lot more live than they do now. And I think part of me was like, dude, we're going to do an hour and a half of live coming up. I don't I'm, I don't want to wear myself out during this. Drilling, you, right. you know, Um but, uh, you know, I, I did learn a lot of stuff in college through osmosis. Coach Roper and Coach Whalen, like I learned some, you know, how in college room, there's some stuff like I don't remember learning it. I just remember all of a sudden I could do it. Like all of a sudden I could cut off leg attacks. All of a sudden when a guy had a single leg up in the air, it didn't phase me that much. And I don't remember actually just like those guys beat it into me, which is probably how you're supposed to learn. Right. Um. But when I was in high school, my dad gave me a, my dad was my high school coach. So he gave me like a really, really good foundation when I was younger for the kind of, you know, high school coach that didn't have a lot of wrestling in college would give you. But when I was in uh, in, in high school, there's a junior college that's like a mile from where I'm sitting right now, where I grew up called Merrimack Junior College. They didn't mm-hmm. have a they don't have a wrestling program now, but uh, um, I would just go up there, you know, like pretty much in the spring and the summer every day, or I don't know, they had workouts to it. I was wrestling junior college guys all the time. And it was a lot of, you know, it wasn't structured workouts. You just be like, Hey man, could you show me how to do that? And you show mm-hmm. me how to do that. And uh, yeah, if, if I could have kept that level of, you know, curiosity and, and uh, eagerness to learn going through college, I think maybe I would have, yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm happy about, where I wound up, you know, there was some, probably some guys that better than me that didn't wind up there, but I think maybe I would have maybe, uh, optimized myself a little more, maybe even enjoyed the sport. A lot yeah. More. You, you hang out with a guy like Yanni for a couple of days and you're like, I don't know anyone who has this much fun learning and executing wrestling as this guy. I mean, he kind of reminds me of the, uh, the 165 pounder now at Missouri, um, Askren's oh, protege. O-tool. Yeah, O-tool. Yeah, O-tool. Yeah, yeah. O-tool. Like both those guys are like, man, they're just, they, they're just savants. They're loving it. It's like a totally different approach. I, I just love that those kind of kids are coming up now. And those are what the youngsters are going to be watching. Yeah. You know, I just had a thought um, is sort of at, at, at the right times. That's what comedy is for me now. Mm. Um, so I remember I remember like fooling around with a cheap tilt uh, one summer up, up at the junior college. I think it was probably between my sophomore and junior year just in, in, not like oh this is some silly technique that i'll never use You're just fooling around with it and then you start 
you know, when you get against a guy in practice and you're bored and he's not very good, you just do that. And then you get it's a guy in a match and he's not very good. You're like, I'll try this thing and you get it. And then all of a sudden you're doing it in a match against somebody that is good. And then you're doing it in the state semifinals. And like when it, you first start getting really competent with it, not when you've perfected, but when you're just like, I can see where this is headed. Mm-hmm. It's the most exciting time of your life when you're a young wrestler. And for me, it's when I have a new bit that like, it's like the, the bits that work, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, that's great. It's fun. But, uh, I did that, you know, like it's like this thing isn't even like, I, I just hear like half the crowd laughing and I'm like, I know there's something here and I, I haven't figured out the wording and I, I need to pull some words out and I need to mess around with it for another three months, but I know this thing is going to work. And it, that's, there's no more fun, uh, uh, for me than that. Um, when you get there, are you listening to it, writing it down and then retyping it to like tighten it up? Or how are you like tightening up like the, the five minutes of, of bits a bit there? Well, it's a really good question. I mean, I do a lot of different stuff. Like I do some, I try to journal in the morning. It's just, you know, just free, write, Just cursive, uh, with a pen, mm-hmm. uh, on a notebook, just, to, you know, just keep the pen moving. And then if there's something that occurs to me as, uh, sort of interesting. It's, it's impossible to come with something that's funny. So it's like, is this, is this interesting? Is this something that doesn't usually happen? Or I don't usually think of, I just put it up in the margin and then I go back and uh, I pick up some of those with another exercise and just sort of try to, I try to make the, uh, make the premise like 1% funnier or 1% more relatable, or I try to add something to it. Cause if you start thinking about how can I make this joke right now, funny enough to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, on, on a, a comedy special, it just, it falls apart. You're, you're not, it's, it's too much pressure on the thing. So it's like, how can I make it just a little bit better? And then you sort of find a seam, you find something that you can say. And these days I'll just say, if I have any idea that I think is half funny, I'll just do it on stage. Um, and then I, I listen to almost every set, you know, I just n- nothing fancy. I just record on my iPhone and I listen to the sets and I'm like, okay, and um, at that point, it's not a lot of um, once I get there, I don't do a lot of uh, typing or writing. It's more just by the ear and just and talking on stage. Uh, I may make a note like ah, get rid of this word, say that word, add this word. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think Seinfeld said it takes about a year to get it, get it a bit right. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, now and now for me, um, the best way for me to make a, a bit perfect is record it on a CD or a comedy special. And then about three weeks after that, I'll figure it exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then it gets, then it gets yeah, ready, yeah. right? Right when it's too late. I, uh, uh, that's exactly when I'll find out how, how to make it perfect. Yeah. How big of a jump was it to go from the 20 minute sets to filling an hour? Um, it was, I'm trying to think. Uh, for a while, it, it does become it's about time. Like now it's not about time. It's just right. about coming up with better material and, and coming up with new material. But for the first several years of your career, it's like, I just need to get enough time. And sometimes you make the mistake of being like, that means I should make this thing um, bigger. And almost always uh, you need to make it smaller to be funnier. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it took a while to get there. And then there's some little things in the clubs. Like when you go from being the middle guy to the headliner, uh, you have to close the show. You have to follow somebody who's pretty good. And then you have to deal with a check drop, which is, um, 
when you're first starting is like terrifying because basically you're doing well, you're doing well. And then all of a sudden, nobody is paying attention to you for about five minutes. They're, they're all looking down, they're all paying their bill oh, and they're talking to the friend. Like nobody. And, and it's now it's like kind of, it's the least big deal in the world. You know, the other thing that everybody think is like a, a big deal is you kind of need to learn to talk to the crowd every now and then, like, like, just sort of improvise yeah. and talk to the crowd. And most people think like, well, that's the hardest thing about comedy. It's not, it's just a thing. It's kind of like learning to cut off leg attacks. You just eventually learn it, mm -hmm. you, you know, like at some point run the pipe seems so foreign to me. And like, I will never get this. And then all of a sudden I was like, okay, I, I know how to do this. And I can't tell you why I know how to do this. It, it, it's the talking to the right. crowd is more of a skill than an art, but yeah, yeah that check drop it's uh when you're first starting to headline, it's it's scary, man. I never <laughs> when you said that at first, I'm like, what? Like in terms of you getting paid, you're talking about the no the crowd, like yeah, they, their bill and they're getting the yeah, hell they, out of there. They all get their bill and then <laughs> and they nobody is listening to you. And it's this weird thing. Um, and every club does it differently. And some clubs are worse than others. And, um, you know, I, I uh, at first you're thinking, well, I'm just going to do the greatest bit in the world to make them look up from their check. And, 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 and then you realize now they didn't look up and you wasted your best. Bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing. I just thought of something when I was, I think when I was starting to like feature on the road, when I was being the second guy on the road, I don't know, early in my career, you can kind of surf in between big, like you kind of have these big bullets, you know? So, uh, you know, I would go into like I, sometime they sent me to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I, and I was a little in over my head, but I was like, I can get through this. I can get through this. You know, I'll just uh, I got my six bid bit big bits and I'll space them out, you know, and then in between I'll kind of coast and it won't be quite as funny, but then I'll hit them with this. You know, maybe I'll talk to the crowd a little bit, kill some time, you know, and then back then it was like I had to get to like 20 minutes, which, you know, is nothing to, to me now. <laughs> but I was like. You know, it's like 20 minutes is a long time when you're in over your head. So the first night I get in there, I mean, Ryan, in the uh, in the first five minutes, I've used all six of the big bits <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't work. So I was like, OK, you guys, you thought that you hated that. You you don't have any idea how bad this next 10 minutes is. Gonna be. <laughs> What do you do in that situation? Are you up there sweating and you're thinking about it? Oh, yeah, it's just... terrible. It's awful, man. It's 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 the only thing better than, you know, getting pounded in a wrestling match is like, at least you're not, you know, physically <laughs> beaten down. Right. But uh, yeah. Um, oh, my God. I, yeah. I just I love the creative process and I'm a massive fan of stand up and. So I'm curious just about all these kind of like process questions and your journey. And <laughs> I was like, just thinking about it, you know, over time, I'm like, man, going from the 15 to 20 minute guy to the 60 minute guy is crazy to me. And I always wonder, like, do you just have it so mapped out in your head that you know where it's going? And are you spending a lot of time thinking about it in your head? Like when you're driving to shows? You at first you do. And now it's, 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 I don't think about it at all. It's right. like, you know, I, like I have enough material in any situation to cover it, but yeah, when you first start headlining, you do. The other thing is to get from like the first guy or to get from the second guy to headliner, you have to have the time, but these days, and even back when I started headlining, you have to have a little bit of a read. You can't just be funny. Like they, you have to have some, some credits. Like you can't just be, well, this guy's really good. We're going to move him up. 
it doesn't work like that. So I, you know, I had to have a, you got to get a little bit of TV that they can mm -hmm. advertise or, you, you know, I think the thing that I had a couple of TV appearances, um, but the thing that put me over to where I started headlining was I, I, I had, uh, a bit on the, I did this national radio show, the Bob and Tom show. Yeah. And I, I told a story about wrestling on there and like, for some reason, their listenership, it's a big Midwest, uh, mm -hmm. listenership. It's all over, but, uh, they loved it. And like that bit kind of exploded and they played it. They put it on a CD that they used to, you know, put out wow. every year. And like that bit alone just sort of kind of made me into a headliner over the next year. Did the Montreal Comedy Festival come after that or before? No, that? that was before that. Yeah, yeah. That was that was like the first. Uh, I got that like a year after um, I quit my day job. And that was that was a pretty cool break. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, I'm familiar with the Bob and Tom show. I used to listen to it in high school. And then my mother, massive fan, and will always call me when you're on the Bob and Tom show. She's like, there's this wrestler. I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, great. yeah, yeah. I'm going to get them on. And then uh, my mother, soon to be mother-in-law, massive fan of the Bob and Tom show. You know, she talks about it like like I don't know what radio is because we're so, you know, into podcasts and like Spotify. But I'm like, yeah, I know what that is. But uh, yeah, so that that was kind of your first entry on there. And now you've been like a staple with those guys. I mean, you must have gone there hundreds of times since. Then, yeah. Right? Yeah. Those, those guys are great. That's the, the I, you know, I, I call their uh, the Monday. This, yeah. Every Monday I call and do a little segment on there. And uh, and nice. they've uh, they've always been fascinated with with the wrestling stuff, too. So it's it's really cool. Yeah. Um, you, you just never know what those guys are going to say when you bring up wrestling and you're oh, just like yeah, man. waiting for it. But yeah, yeah. They're, uh, they're some of my best friends now. You know, when I first went in there, I was terrified because I, I was like you, I was in sales, you know? So I was out on the road listening to them on, you know, on the way to a call or on the way to the, the office. And, you know, and then the first time I got to do it, I was like, Oh, I, I remember, you know, just being really nervous. And I just went right into the wrestling bit. And <laughs> luckily it, it worked, you know, worked Tom, out. Tom was fascinated by my ear, you know, like he just could not get over that. I had a cauliflower ear for like the first five years I went in. That's all he would say. This is a Greg Warren. He has a, a cauliflower ear. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, it's so cool that you're out there representing wrestling and just, you know, you're, you're everywhere, man. I was, I was just, uh, you know, going down the Greg Warren rabbit hole before this. And one of the things I did not know was you was the West Wesley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you, yeah, yeah. That I didn't was know that until like today that I made the connection. I'm like, holy shit, that's the same. I'm like, obviously, that is one of the funny the the bit I'm thinking of or the video I'm thinking of is when you're at nationals, you go up to Randy Lewis, you go up to the Askrens, and then Royce Alger, and it's the Royce threw me down. Like Royce, he took Royce it seriously. Yeah. Right, Royce bear hugged me to the to the floor. It was in Omaha, man. That that's was it was. Yeah, so that character, um. I still remember when we did that. We it was Ben. I'd run into Ben. He was still wrestling at Mizzou, I think. Okay. Or he might have been a grad assist. But uh, I went up to you know I, I'm pretty close with Brian in the program, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, I was up there, and Ben was like, "Hey, there's this new thing called Flow Wrestling, man." And like he didn't prep me or anything. He was like, he just turned on the camera, was like, "Say something funny," and I was like, "I don't know. I did some bit." And then like I got all these responses, and you know I didn't know what Flow was. Mm -hmm. And then about I don't know I don't know six months later. Uh, I was down in Austin doing a show and uh, uh, Mark Bader, who's a buddy of mine and Joe Williamson, yeah. who's a friend of mine. And I called Ben. I was like, who? You know, he's like, call Joe. So uh, I, I called those guys and I was like, hey, I'm, I got like a, a CD coming out this year and, I, and let's do some promo stuff for the CD and see if maybe on flow. So we did like basic sort of like just a basic interview. 
um, kind of like we're doing now. And we mm -hmm. told some stories and I did some bits and uh, we were, I remember we were in the lobby of the, uh, the Austin comedy club. And I go, Hey man, I got this really stupid idea about a guy that like always wears his headgear and he's like 40 <laughs> and he's obsessed with wrestling. And we just started shooting it and we went all over Austin shooting that thing. And, it, and then I think like the, the second one we did, it's funny. Are you familiar with the comedian Nikki Glazer? I've heard the name. I don't. Yeah, think Nikki's. I... She's this girl. She's very attractive, and she's like kind of famous. She's extremely famous now. She she's like the host of F Boy Island on HBO. Okay. She's in a, a bunch of Netflix specials. Um, she was in like she probably was twenty years old, and she was in the first West, the second West Wesley video. What? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like in the in the second West Wesley video is like Wes is on a date with her at uh you know at, at lunch and he pulls out a he pulls out a picture of like the the guy that beat him in uh in high school um so then the one you're talking about i still remember that because it was at omaha and uh max was max was in the finals and me and joe were just shooting stuff and ben was like hey man let me just take you around let's have some fun and shoot a bunch of stuff so yeah i remember shooting it with uh with the, the best one was mark schultz Oh my God. That hit on the head gear looked like it hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So I start, I start pummeling and sparring with Mark Schultz. They, they had told Mark, Hey, do this thing with this guy. They didn't explain much. So I, Mark and I start going and you know, I mean, at that point I was out of wrestling for 15, 20 years. Then, but I, I could still, you know, <laughs> pummel, not with Mark Schultz if he wanted to kill me, but right. you know, we're just kind of wrestling around and sparring and hand fighting. And I walk out and uh, Mark goes to Ben. He goes, Hey, hey come here. Ben. He goes, uh, Hey man, that guy, uh, like he kind of knew what he was doing a little bit, you know? And Ben was like, yeah, man, he wrestled in college. Like Schultz thought that I was like a make a wish kid or something that they were like, bringing around. <laughs> <laughs> he thought that I was just like some guy they were bringing around to like, you know, meet the guy or whatever. Oh he didn't my get God. Mark. And I, uh, later I had sort of connected with him and, uh, it was fun. Uh, he was really, really cool dude. But, uh, yeah, that one. Yeah, Alger like threw me on the ground, and uh, I was worried because we were screwing around with Max like that whole day. Like we were we were shooting stuff with Max and doing all the screwing around, and uh, you know I was like, man, if he loses tonight, and Brian and this video comes out, and Brian sees that we were like screwing around all day. Oh my god, kill me, man! And, but Brian was like, no, that's probably the best thing you could have done with Max is like get him out of his head and the stuff when you're doing the. Uh the what what do you say red alert and he has to keep his red elbows in and you're like yeah, yeah. seven men could get through there i <laughs> dude that was so funny and then yeah just the uh the head that gets it's not only headgear it's like the worst headgear too like, oh i know no, no one wears that headgear well we found it me and bader and joe found it in an academy sports in austin texas at that time <laughs> texas didn't even have sanctioned high school wrestling it, they had it i coached right. on there for a little while but it was not so like you're not it's not like if you walked into Des Moines and went to a sporting goods store, they're going to have all kinds of wrestling shoes. So they had this headgear that probably was left over from 78, you know, and <laughs> it was like the only one left. So we just got that. And yeah, and we kept it. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that was that is just so funny. And like to, to me to think about you have this comedic background and you know, you're just so willing to lay it on the line. You started at freaking West Point. How did that how did that happen? uh jack spates man that's how that happened you, you, really you know, he was yeah, out there jack was the assistant coach at uh west point 
and uh, and he's Got a good rec- he's a good recruiter. <laughs> and <laughs> guys sold the hell out of you, huh? Oh yeah, man. Yeah, Jackson. Yeah, Greggy. Now you come up here. It's gonna be great, man. You're gonna love it, Greg. Greggy, you're gonna love it. You know. <laughs> and, yeah, Jack. Uh, Jack tricked me. No, I I don't know. I, I I felt like I think I was I went there maybe probably for some of the wrong reasons, but I, you know, I felt like there was uh, everybody was impressed by it. You know, when you're a kid and you're senior yeah. in high school and you're like, I think I might go to the Academy. Everybody's like, this is, this is um, half true. It's, it's probably three quarters true, but people are like, why'd you go to West Point? I was like, well, I was in journalism class and I was sitting next to Liz Miller and Liz Miller, uh, extremely attractive, like, ex- like, like very, very attractive. 10 out of 10, um, 10 out of 10, Ryan, 10 out mm. of 10. Saw her a couple years ago, still 10 out of 10. Mm. So I'm sitting next to Liz and uh, I go, hey, Liz, uh, I, I got a call from the coach at West Point last night. She's like, wow, that's really cool. That that's why I went. Right that was there. it. Right yeah, that, that, <laughs> that's the uh, yeah yeah. To be clear, uh, we didn't hook up or anything like that. No, no yeah. She had, that's the last time you spoke to her. Yeah, no interest in any of that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I was like, well, Liz was impressed with it. It must be a good idea. So I, I went. and I'm glad I went. I stayed for the full year. And uh, uh, Coach Ed Steers was the head coach there. He's he's another great guy. And uh, you know, I um, it was how, it was a good experience. Yeah. How 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 like rigid was it there compared to extremely. Like- Extreme. Now, I don't think it's quite that way now. They got rid of some of this stuff unnecessarily. Now, I was hurt. Like, I had back stuff and I was like in the hospital, like basically on bed rest for like six weeks, which it got me out of a lot of stuff. So <laughs> I, I, I have to remind myself, I'm like, I went through the whole first year and it's like, no, no, Greg, you actually didn't. You, you, you were on bed rest ordering pizzas while everybody <laughs> else was. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was, it was, you know, one of the hardest things I've ever been through. It was brutal. Um, the wrestling part, it was great. Uh, but it is one of those things where, you know, everybody's yelling at you all day long. I mean, all day long. And so that by the time you get to practice and coaches, you know, now those guys weren't the type of guys that would yell at you, but if they did, you're kind of like, yeah, coach, uh, get in line, you know, like, like, yeah, sorry, man. I've, I've been yelled at 34 times a day. I really, you know, and they, they were not that way. They were uh, really, really good guys. Um, but yeah, I, after a year, I just sort of decided I, I don't, I think mostly I was sort of worried about, I, I wanted to have fun for one. I was a pretty straight laced kid in high school and I wanted to have fun. And two, uh, I was like, obviously you have to, you go there for four years and then you, you owe them five years after that. Um, and I was like, when you're a kid, that seems like such a long time. Oh. Like at that point, I will be in my, by the time I get out of here, I'm going to be like in my late twenties. At that time, my life is almost over. I'll probably just stay for another, you know, 15 and retire. And it's like, you know, it, it just, it seemed crazy at the time to me. And, uh, you know, I, I'm glad I went, I have a lot of respect for, you know, ultimate respect for what, what those guys do. Do you um, owe anything when you go for just a year or you're, you're, no, you're you can cut. You're good. Back then you can leave um, <clears throat> the day you set foot into class on your junior year. You have a career in the army, uh, but the first two years you, you, you know, you, you can leave. Good uh, to go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I like most people didn't leave when I left. Uh, most people um, left like after the, after basic training or after the first semester, once they made it through plebe year, most people were like, okay, it's smooth sailing. And I was like, no, I just don't, 
don't think I want to do this. Uh, uh, I love your risk takingness, Greg. Like you are, <laughs> you may downplay, but man, you were like just going all over the place, like really taking leaps of faith. And I mean, back I wish then, I could have wrestled like that, Ryan. I, I wish- know, <laughs> I know, brother. I feel you on that. I do. I mean, even yeah. uh, even. You, know, you think about some of the things you've been a part of, like Missouri wrestling. How how much has the popularity of Missouri wrestling grown since your time there? I mean, were it's they amazing. Like, yeah. they're just Brian Smith, one of the great coaches of our time. I mean, I think he is. Yeah, I, I think what he's done there is insane. I mean, we were in the big eight and, uh, uh, you know, we were the fifth best team of five in the big eight. But the teams ahead of us were Iowa State, who was really, really good back then uh oklahoma state who was at the top oklahoma was extremely good back then and nebraska was really good so like really good yeah so we were the fifth best team and we were not a a great team but we weren't a bad team like we were probably a top 25 team you Mm -hmm. know uh you know we we were top 20 top 25 We, we were not a bad team and man we wrestled a tough schedule um and my coach coach roper i uh i really respect him because you know brian has taken the he's taken the program to just amazing heights, but West did build some stuff there. You know, he was the, he, he got the, uh, the, the program fully funded, um, you know, kept it alive. And, uh, he, he was a really loyal guy and, uh, man, he was one of those guys like you, you were mentally tough. If you wrestled for him, you were either going to quit or, or you're going to be mentally tough. And man, we just, we wrestled, we wrestled a tough schedule. You know, it was like, we had that big, big eight, uh, schedule. And then every year we would go to the Northern open, which was most of the big 10 schools that was on Thanksgiving weekend. And we went to the Midlands and, uh, we went to Vegas a, a lot too. So did you go to the St. Louis open back then? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. That yeah. was a big one. Yeah. I mean, was, the, the open schedule alone back then, like you said, it was like the UNO open, the UNI open and yeah. uh, that St. Louis open. And that's like before the dual season even starts. And that one had been 15, 20 matches. I wrestled Pat in the finals of the UNI Open my senior year. Smith? Yeah, Pat Smith. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And it was That Open was cool because, if you know, you got a sweatshirt if you placed in the top three. You, you know, there you, you go. Like blue sweatshirt, red sweatshirt, and I think a yellow sweatshirt. I, I got the red sweatshirt. That's but yeah, the Pat, tournament where freaking Alan Freed drives up, hits a deer during his redshirt season, and beats Tom Brands, who's the defending national champ. And, I'm, that uh, might have been the year I was in. That might have been there. the year I was been, there. Could have been, yeah. yeah. Could have been, yeah. I wrestled That's- a guy in the semis, I think, who was at Iowa at the time. He was a red shirt, but he went on to pit a guy named Rich Conolano, uh, who I think wrestled Freed back in the day, or he was, I don't know. He, he, he was, he was tough, man. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, yeah, Pat was, it wasn't, you know, I, I wrestled a lot of good guys, um, you know, and, and, uh, some of it was just painful and brutal. Pat, like it was weird. Cause it's like, okay, it's the third period and I'm down, I don't know, 11, four and I'm not tired. I'm not, uh, I don't feel beat up at all. I'm just about a step behind every time, you know, mm-hmm. like, like it, it's just, you're always off balance and you're always, you're always a, a couple of steps behind. Yeah. Um, I mean, you wrestled so many guys. Cause like, like you said, you, your sophomore year, you qualify junior year. You're a blood round guy, senior year, you make it onto the podium. But I heard one of the guys you scrapped with during your tenure was a guy I'm always fascinated by, Brian Dolph. What did it feel uh, like to have Brian Dolph put his hands on you back then? That was, man, I still remember. I think I wrestled him, I'm guessing junior year in like one of the opening rounds, either first or second round. 
and he was like Pat and that he was always a step, a step ahead, but he was also pretty physical, mm-hmm. you know, like it was not Pat. I'm sure when he needed to be was physical, but, but Pat, Brian, it was, it was physical, man. Like you were, you were getting beat on a little bit. Um, and, and I was just behind him. And I, I remember that match, man, because I remember, um, maybe it was, maybe that was sophomore year. I think it was sophomore year. I can't remember, but I was, uh, my dad, I could hear my dad in the stands encouraging me. And it was, it was kind of wow. cool. Yeah. Cause I, like my dad was my high school coach and, um, you know, he switched at some point from coaching me to just being a, a guy that w- was a fan. And, uh, you know, you, nobody, no wrestler, nobody on your show, but you, you have mostly champions unless they're idiot comedians come on your show. <laughs> uh, but no, nobody talks about some of this stuff like, some of us didn't exactly have the right mindset all the time. Right. Right. So like I was in that match and I was going hard, but you know, was I confident I could beat Brian Dolph? No. Did (laughs) I think that most people in the entire arena knew about what was going to happen in this match? Yes. So (laughs) I'm just like, this is uh, not fun and I'm giving everything I got. And it just, I remember hearing my dad, you know, be like, come on, buddy, you, you know, you can do this, you you know, hang in there. And that's cool. Yeah, it was a really, really cool moment. It's it's one thing. It's like the stuff that uh, you can edit this out if you want, because it probably shouldn't be on a wrestling podcast. But it's some of the stuff that Tervel talks about, about being honest. A lot of times I don't think I felt like I could be honest. But, you know, when, when most coaches are like, hey, man, you, you know, you're going to take this guy. You're going to take this guy. And you're like, yeah, man, I got him, coach. And in your mind, you're like, I don't got him. in your mind i mean this is a terrible thing to say but i'm being honest with you there was a couple of times when i'm like yeah man coach uh i'm looking the numbers on this deal and uh (laughs) (laughs) this guy uh not only did he beat me before he beat seven guys that beat me uh and the last (laughs) time wasn't even close uh so i mean you know i I, i'm gonna tell you what you want to hear here but uh if you if you know if this was a lie detector (laughs) test I'm going down hard. You know? Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's a terrible mindset. And I'm sure there's a way to be like, Hey, this is how I feel. You know, maybe somebody could be like, okay, okay. That's how you feel. Now let's see what we can do let's with that. This. Yeah. 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 Let's <laughs> or maybe Travell would have been like, no, really Greg, actually, even the honesty thing doesn't work with you. You're, you're, you're pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> well, knowing you got to such a high level and like still thought that way, like the amount of people, who struggle with this, this kind of self-talk or like limiting belief is endless, you know? So I'm glad you said it because it's, it's funny, but it's true. And it's, it's like sad for most athletes to think that, you know, it's like, it's true though. It's just how yeah. many of them are out there, you know? And uh, the reason I asked about Dolph, man, is I did the slang Satyav documentary and I loved it, man. Thank yeah. you, brother. Thank you. Yeah. He so wound I, up, he wrestled slay in the final. He was his yes, coach, right? He was yeah. his coach and he wrestled yeah. in the Olympic trial finals. And all anyone says was like, Oh my God, Dolph was like a wild man. He was a killer. He would like beat you up. And I didn't really see any matches from his early career when he was at IU. And so I was always wondering what was he like? And so I just stumbled across a Brian Dolph yeah, match with you guys. And uh, I was like, it's, it's, it's funny that you said that. Cause you know, there's a lot of guys that I wrestled and I could tell you like defining characteristics, you know, like I said with Pat, you're just, it was a combination of that um, sort of low single uh, high C where they're going down to their knees in a head snap and all three of them, you're just always off balance. Mm -hmm. Dolph. All I remember was just really good, solid, uh, uh, solid wrestler, pretty physical, um, you know, solid technique. Uh, 
I wrestled. Um, well, the guy that you had on, uh, worked out with me, uh, uh, Steve Barrett, he, he'd come in and work oh out. Oh my with God. Me. You know, yeah. Steve Barrett. Awesome. Yeah. Barrett. Well, they brought him in. He was a farmer in Missouri. That's the farmer. Yeah, that's the farmer in I my last comedy farmer story on the flow thing that yeah. Steve Barrett was the farmer. Steve Barrett is the farmer. I did it in my last comedy special. I, I, I it's Steve Barrett is the farmer. <laughs> Steve the was a farmer in Warrensburg, Missouri. And one of my best wrestling partners, Darren Davis, got in a car accident that year and he couldn't wrestle anymore. And coach was like, you know, I worked out with Roper all the time and mm-hmm. that was tough enough. There was a guy named Sean Fry who was coming mm-hmm. in as a freshman who wound up being a finalist who was tough. Um, but they wanted somebody else to work out with me and they brought in Steve and he came in like every Tuesday and like that guy, I really enjoyed listening to the episode with him because he is the most unorthodox wrestler I've ever wrestled. It was, it was nothing. It was nothing like I'd ever seen before. Like very, very unorthodox. It must've been somewhat what it was like to wrestle Dave Schultz or something like that. But he did a lot of like just crazy stuff and he inflicted pain on the top. Like it was uh, like he inflicted a lot, a lot of pain, you know? And I, you know, I heard him talking on your show about, you know, what he's done for athletes in action. And, you know, he talks a lot about his relationship with God. And I'm like, yeah, I wonder what God thinks about what you were doing to me. (laughs) (laughs) So that, so you, the first time you work out with him though, you had no idea of his credentials. I knew he was good. And I, that's one, I think I have probably exaggerated for comedic effect. You know, I knew he was good, but I really did sort of, I was a senior. I had lost in the blood round the year before and I'd wrestled a couple guys close that were good. And this, he was old. And I was like, this guy's coming in and he, he he didn't, he had on wrestling shoes from like 15 years before. And he had these old gray shorts and he literally, when we were drilling, he just sat down and didn't do anything. And I, I, and then Roper's like, go with Steve live. And I, I go, you want to warm up? And he just stood up and he slapped his right leg and he slapped his left leg and he, his stance, Ryan, was not a wrestling stance. It was ju- he was like he was standing straight up. It was almost like a modified Greco stance. And I really at that point was like, I am going to beat. I'm going to beat this old man all day long. You know, what's he doing? I'm a college athlete. And it was very quickly, man. Like he <laughs> does this thing where he jumps up in the air and he grabs like sort of a chin head. I mean, I know technique. Yeah, I don't know what he did. He like a chin head thing. And he just throws you over. And then it's just, God, it's like kind of a modified legs is thing where it's just all he's doing like, and just elbows always in your neck or your face <laughs> or, you know, like it was, he's very angular and, and, and like pointy, you know, pointy. Yeah. Like very there's pointy. always something sticking, you know, and you're like, Oh, <laughs> this is it's brutal. Even Roper who was a really tough, you know, he's really, really tough guy. Wes was like, Hey, Steve, take it easy on him. It's like, it's like, he thought he, he thought he was going to rip my arm out of my socket at one point. Man. I never, I never heard Wes say that ever. Yeah. And, uh, and Barrett's like, he's hard, man. He's been living in Eastern Europe. He yeah. Yeah. Living like a monk, basically. I mean, the guy yeah. is just all business. Yeah. The thing is, you know, he's a really sweet guy. I mean, I'm yeah. sure that that did come over on your interview. He's a, he's a really sweet guy. And it was kind of a cool thing when I, uh, placed, uh, at, at nationals that year, uh, like, uh, 
um, he sat in the chair with, with Wes. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. He, he sat in the corner with Wes on a couple matches. It was kind of cool, man. You know, cause That's I don't, amazing. at that point, I, I don't, he'd been sort of out of it for a while. He was, you know, farming. So I don't think he'd been back to NCAAs in a while. It was, it was pretty neat. And yeah. I'm thinking about the timing, like the Soviet union was probably, when was your senior year? 91. So it was yeah. just about to go and he went back. He was, he was about to leave. Right. I yeah. think he left about six months after that. When and I was listening to your Russia show, like 15 years after that. Yeah. That must've yeah. been like, you're probably the last U S guy he coached probably. Yeah. I think he was just disgusted with the efforts <laughs> of, uh, uh, American athletes after coaching me and, <laughs> and it was like, okay, I need to, I need to go to Dagestan where people have some sort of, uh, intestinal fortitude. Yeah. Dude, those guys are so <laughs> tough over there. Well, Greg, man, it's been so much fun to chat with you, brother. I just, uh, I'm so glad to, to meet you and, uh, to have you on the show and I can't wait to meet you in person. Are you going to yeah. NCAAs this year? I'm not, uh, I got a gig. Um, I go probably every two to three years. I am going to big 12s though. Okay. Uh, my, my dad and I are going down to big 12s. I can't, I can't wait. It's the first year Missouri has been back in the big 12 and, uh, it's going to be a great tournament and Hey man, keep doing what you're doing. It's, uh, it's, it's great for the sport and it's, uh, it may, uh, it may, me, may get me back down to fighting weight. So yeah, oh, I man. Need that's, that's <laughs> our ultimate goal right there. So if that happens, mission accomplished. No, it's, um, and if, dude, if you're ever in Chicago, you know, let me know. I'd love to come by and, and I see, will. A, see yeah. a show. Thank you yeah. so much. I will be. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Folks, this episode is brought to you by Quant Wrestling. Quant takes the money ball approach to the sport of wrestling. They have an app that's available on the Google and Apple Play stores where you can find all of their Division I wrestling data. They track 500 plus stats for each match timestamp them, and then upload them into the Quant app. Really fantastic tool. Download it now at Quant Wrestling on the Google and Apple Play stores. Use the discount code WCML to get your first month free.